I've been getting lots of pictures while playing. It's really cool. But this one was, as I was playing, there was just black. Well, it wasn't black, it was very dark blue. Very dark blue. But as I was playing, light was coming through, little spots of light, but they were stars. And I eventually asked God what was it all. <laughs> and God said the, bl the dark blue, it was really dark blue, was us. And the stars were God, was God coming through, but they were so clear and just beautiful. Amen. Amen. <laughs> See, we really are God's hands and feet extended, yeah? We are the tool that he uses with his love here on earth. He gives us a word for us to work in us and through us for those around us, yeah? So I love that. If that's the picture that Sarah's just got, it means people are discovering Jesus in you. Yeah? In you, in you, in you, in you, in you. I know some of you are thinking, not possibly per the person next to me, it can't be, but it's true. Even them, yeah? God can use any one of us, yeah? That's why Paul was able to say, I was the worst of the worst, the worst of sinners, but hey, God chose me, he used me still. You know, that's some exciting times ahead. Because when God starts to come through us, yeah? It's not just the words we speak, but it's a love in action. There's a power and authority that we carry when we pray for people. People will come to you and I'll say, oh, I heard you prayed for this, and on this person that was healed. Can you pray for me? I've got the same thing. It's not anything special about you or I, but the special is the light that's shining through us, yeah? A very bright, piercing light. Amen? Great picture. Amen. We've been talking about, I've been talking about the love of God. Last week we were talking about the love of God. And, and for me, um, if I was to surmise what we spoke about last week, I, I spoke about the reality that, that Father God's love draws men and women to himself. It's the tool that he uses. And we looked at the scripture that says that love never fails. And when we unpack that a little bit, what we discovered was that when God says love never fails, he means it never ceases, never ends, never perishes. It never disappears. And then he calls us to imitate him, <laughs> to love like he loves. Wow. A love that never ceases, never perishes, never disappears. And so last week, I think as we were closing, it might have been a prayer just for myself, and it may have been a question just for myself, but I suggested that maybe some of us need to look at it within ourselves and see how we're loving and loving those around us. You know, how are we loving those that are in our family? How are we loving those within this family? How are we loving those that we come into contact with? You know, I, I love John 13, 35, because by this all men will know that you're my disciples when you love one another. And I can't help but emphasise the fact that you can't love another if you're isolated, alone, deciding not to go to church because it's not your thing. You know, that's all well and good. That's great but you're missing out the very thing that God wants you to do. And that's to love one another. <laughs> and let's, let's be really simple. You can't love another if there isn't an another. Yeah? Is that, is that all right? Like if there's not another, there's just like, oh, you're loving it just on yourself. Only happens in family, in community, that we can actually love each other, where we can meet each other's needs. Amen. And it's really important. I love the songs that we were singing today and the picture that Sarah got 
Because it's really important that you and I understand God's love. See, I truly believe I'm coming more and more to the realisation because of the journey that God has me on that so many of us understand God's love. We know that he died for us. We know that so we could have a relationship with him. That's how much he loves us. But I think for so many of us, it's a journey trying to understand and fully capture his love in here, where we see it, we feel it, it's tangible. When we look in the mirror, we're not disappointed with something we've said or done or something that's about to happen. We don't feel inadequate because we can actually see how God sees us. And we can feel how God feels towards us. It's really important that we understand and grasp his love for us. See, his love is tangible. Yeah? His love is tangible. It's something that we experience and it's something that we encounter. The words on the page may lead you there, But that's all they're going to do. It's an experience and encounter with a living spiritual God. Yeah, He's not dead. He's alive inside of us. Yet his love just can't be measured. So we we go through life and we, we try to work things out in our human thinking. And we know that God's got this love for us, but we can't measure it. I I read a kids' church curriculum and I loved it, so I ripped it off completely to share this morning. And and it says this. Sometimes we we use like tools of measurement, three tools of measurement, a measuring cup, yeah, a measuring tape, and a watch. They all measure something. So let's just have a look at the measuring cup. Measuring cup we might use if we're going to bake cookies or cakes things like that, to measure how much flour, how much water, how much milk, etc. Yeah, That's how we measure. So maybe we can use a measuring cup to measure God's love for us. But then Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord's my shepherd, I'll lack nothing. And then in verse 5 it says, You anoint my head with all my cup, my cup, my measuring cup overflows. Yeah. So if our cup runs over with God's love, then I'm, I'm assuming, I guess, we can't use a measuring cup to measure his love. Yeah? If we're building something, for those of you that are that way inclined, because I'm not. Um, Paul Scott made a comment recently in relation, he helped and did a little small job at my place and I asked about painting and sanding and you made a comment, you said, he goes, I'll be 40 before you paint that wall. And you know what? It's happening. Time's ticking over. And every day I'm looking at that wall and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, he said it, he said it. You know, some of us just aren't that way inclined. But for those that are, for those that are, if you're building something, you're normally measuring stuff out. You've got a measuring tape, how long, how high. You, you do stuff, that's what you do. So I wonder if we can use a tape measure to measure God's love. But it says in Psalm 108, verse 4, for great is your love, higher than the heavens. Higher than the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the sky. So if God's love is higher than the heavens, then I guess we can't use a measuring tape to measure his love. Is this okay so far? For those of you that thought that you could use a measuring tape, I apologise now for bursting that bubble, yeah? What about a watch? We use a watch to measure time, yeah? And the truth is, some of you are probably looking at your watches, wondering how long I'm going to preach for, yeah? But... 
But outside of that, let's use our watch to measure how long God's going to love us for. How long will his love last? Yeah, then in Psalm 103, verse 17, it says, From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. So if his love's from everlasting to everlasting, man, my watch has to get charged every three days. Some of you have got those old school watches that take batteries that you actually replace every year or two. They're not even going to last. So we can't use a measuring cup, can't use a measuring tape, we can't use a watch. All these things that we use to measure stuff in life, we can't measure God's love. I'm glad you asked. See, if we can't measure his love, there has to be a way that we can grasp it, to understand it. If we're supposed to love like he loved, there's got to be a way that we can ha actually have some sort of you know, tangible understanding so that we can actually be him on earth. Yeah, so we can truly be his hands and his feet. So we can allow that light to pierce through. Yeah? There has to be a way. And I think it, for, for all of us, really, it's a picture that we get. It's a tangible experience. It's, a, it's an encounter. It's a revelation yeah, of God's love. And that can happen at the moment of salvation. It can happen 20 years down the track. It can happen as a process through our journey with him as we come to understand how much he loves us. So today I want to look at, a, at the parable of the prodigal son. I want us to see the extent of the father's love. Because I reckon we pass over this so often. See, to fully understand how valuable we are to daddy, that if we can grab hold of that, when that starts to seep into our hearts, then we can start to love one another truly as he loved us. So if you've got your Bibles, if not, look at the screen, Luke 15. It's a slightly long reading, but it's just, it, there's just some wonderful nuggets of gold in this passage. So from verse 10, to illustrate the point further, it could be verse 11, looking at what I've copied and pasted here. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all the belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About, this, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. What perfect timing. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. You realize the confession comes after he's already been loved, embraced, and kissed? Yeah? But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. 
We must celebrate because fat and calf means it's more fat, so it's tastier. Anyway, that's just my $2 worth for those that like lean meat. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for his, this son of mine was dead and now he returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. And it goes on to say, meanwhile, the older brother was in the fields when he returned home he heard music dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants what's going on your brother's back he was told and your father has killed a fattened calf we're celebrating because of his safe return lord i just pray right now that the truth that you want to impart to us lord i pray god it would be so warm father and so loving that it wouldn't just pass through our mind but it would sit rest and sink and take its home in our hearts. Lord, that Lord, we would have a divine revelation and illumination, Lord, of your love for us. Lord, the extent of your love for us. The extent to that which you went to love on us. God, I pray, Father, that would be more real today for all of us than at any other point in our Christian faith. I pray, Lord, that it would be a reigniting, Lord, a fanning into flame, that love within us that we would become, Lord, more and more from strength to strength and glory to glory, like your son Jesus, that people would discover who you are through who we are and whose we are. And everybody said, Amen. What, a, what an awesome parable. It's like a gospel within the gospel. You know, I mean, Jesus himself shares it. It is just brilliant. And it shows us a stack of things, but what I really want to focus on is the extreme, the extreme love of the Father. Like, it's an extreme love. It's an extreme love. It's so extreme, the eldest son didn't even understand it. It's an extreme love. And it's in this extreme love that we're supposed to love like he loved us, yeah? You know, I think, we, I think with this particular story, this parable, passage of Scripture, I think we teach it in kids' church. I think we hear it. We've heard it over time. You know, and I think we, can, we just glance over it. We know it. It's the story of the prodigal son. Son came home, they had a party, everyone was happy. He'd squandered everything, you know, I think we can pass over it. And I think because of that, sometimes we can miss some of the subtleties of it, you know. So let's see if we can go through it a little bit. Because I, I, I want you, if you can, if you can, I want to encourage you to see the, the whole thing unfold as the father was seeing it unfold. See, to understand the Father's love, you've got to understand how the Father felt. You've got to understand what he processed. You've got to understand some of the culture of the day. And when you start to grab a hold of that, it starts to bring a real tangible reality of the Father's love for his Son and in turn the Father's love for us. Amen? You know, I think if, if I was the Father and the Son had asked me for his inheritance and taken all his cash and the works and had driven off with, you know, the Alfa Romeo um, and then took off into the, into the darkness. I, I'd imagine that, you know, within myself I'd be hoping, dreaming, that he may one day return. But I think a part of me would feel as though I'd lost him forever, you know. And I guess I would pray every day that he would come back that that would be the thing that was motivating me, that there would be more hope than brokenness. Yeah. Now, what we've got to understand here, through 
archaeological finds and the way things panned out, um, they'll tell you that the landowner, the father, actually lived in a village. He lived amongst the villagers, just not, not out on a property on his own. He actually lived with the villagers. And if you understand the culture of the day, it was really important. Honour was exceptionally important you know, in the way that they did community. So I reckon as the sun took off, I, I, I want to suggest that a lot of the villagers were probably thinking, oh, well, there he goes. He's going to die out there. He's stuffed it now. He's taken all his cash and he's run. You know, oh, well. He was a nice kid, <laughs> but now he's gone. And I reckon as time passed, you know, it wasn't like they had mobile phones then. I reckon they just thought he was dead. They just assumed he, he was gone. He'd left his father's home. He broke his father's heart. He took every bit that was supposed to be his inheritance for the future. I think most of those villages, most of that community would have written him off. They would have cast him out of their minds. He was lost. He's lost. They would have thought he was dead. They would have given up on him. Here's my question. Just for you. Ever given up on anyone? Oh, you just thought, oh, well, that's it for them. Worse still, ever felt like someone's actually given up on you? You just know that you know that you know that, hey, they're not making the effort anymore. They used to. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Yeah? I would think most of us could probably put our hands up to that. If we're to be open, honest, transparent and vulnerable in a place of safety so that we can walk with each other, yeah? I just don't want to be the only broken one up here. Is that Okay. Thank you. I have th three of you. That's okay. One either side and one behind me. But cool. The rest of you will break you along the way. The beauty right here is the love that the father has for his son. See, he longs for his son. He longs. Like he's longing. He's longing. He's longing for his son. He hasn't written him off. He hasn't said, stuff you. Get out. I never want to see you again. You miserable son of a gun. You so-and-so. Man, if I see you in the street, I'm going to kick you. And if you're down, I'm going to kick you again. The father wasn't like that. The father was longing for his son to come home. Like a longing. I mean, have you thought about it? The scripture says that he sees him coming from a long way off. How? Was it just a fluke? Just by chance? He just happened to be sipping an espresso? on the balcony of his home, he goes, oh, look, there's my son. How is it that it just happened at the right time that when his son was returning that the father saw him a long way off? Because he was looking. He was longing. He was waiting. He has this extreme love that makes no sense because his son did the dirty on him. Luke 15 in verse 20, he says, So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. His father was waiting. I, I need you to understand this, because the father would have been ridiculed. The father would have been ridiculed for waiting for his son. The father would have been ridiculed for holding out hope for this terrible, 
terrible person that ripped him off and brought shame to him. He would have been ridiculed by the community. The people in his village, in his community, they would have talked about the father. They would have talked about his stupidity, the stupid thing that he was doing. Can you believe it? Look, he's still waiting for his son. He's, you know, not honourable son. The son that brought dishonour. The son that brought disgrace. What a stupid thing for him to be waiting for him. But there's this love inside the father. The villagers would have said he's given away a third of his estate. And there he goes. He's taken it in his hand and he's gone. They would have talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And then when they'd finished talking about it, then they would have turned to the father who somehow on his property is waiting for the son to return. They would have criticised him too. They probably would have called him stupid. In fact, in those days, that word didn't exist. So they would have said that he lacked wisdom. The father lacks wisdom. Hey, check out that dad. Let's see if we can learn what not to do. What a great example of bad parenting. He certainly doesn't understand how honour works, you know. That father would have received, received such ridicule from the villagers, from, from the, those within the village and the community because of the culture of the day. He was going against the culture of the day. You've got to understand how strong culture can be. He was going against the culture of the day. And despite the ridicule he was getting, he waits. You know, maybe, maybe my son will come home one day. Maybe I'll see him. Maybe he's a beggar, I don't know, but I'm just going to wait. I'm believing he's coming home to me. And the father waits. This is where we start to see the extent of his love. This is where it starts to get good, I reckon. See, the father knows if the son returns that he'll have to face the community, the people within the village, yeah? Now, he knows how the crowd are going to treat him. He just knows. He knows what they're going to say as he's walking down the street. They know, he knows the whispers that are going to go around about the son because of what he did to the father, the dishonour that he brought. And the whole community would have been in on it. You know, the prodigal, if he returns, he's, he's probably going to be met with, with contempt and mockery. A crowd will gather because of words that are being spread that the father's dishonourable son has returned. And as soon as the son returns, if he has the courage to return, so the son knows too what, what lays ahead of him, yeah? He would have to face a mob of villagers. The whole place. All of them. With all of their thoughts and opinions. And we all know what opinions are like, don't we? We all have opinions. We all have armpits. They all stink, yeah? You can laugh at that. That's actually quite funny, but it's true too. It doesn't work all the time. The son would have been taunt, taunted, he would have been scorned for losing the inheritance. He definitely would have been verbally abused and probably physically abused. In fact, some would say that because of the dishonour and shame that he brought upon the family, 
that it was the community's role to actually stone him to death because of the dishonor that he brought. So there was not much worse the son could do than to lose his entire inheritance to the Gentiles because that's what he did. It's like he's, he's taken the money from his dad, yeah? You've got to follow me here. A Jew, God's chosen people. And then he loses that. He blows that with the Gentiles. Man, are you serious? There was no more shame that he could bring upon the family than that. And in fact, the truth is, for that sort of thing, they had a ceremony. They had a ceremony in their community. The ceremony is actually called, I can't pronounce it, I'll try it, Kazaza, right? It's pronounced Kazaza. They would break a large pot in front of him in front of the, the child, the son, and the whole community, the whole community, after they've break, broken this pot, would now say, you're cut off from your people. Get out. That's how they would treat a son that did what he did. They would break this pot and they would say, get out. So imagine the risk the son's taking in coming back. He already knows that. And there's his father that knows what the community is planning to do because of culture that's waiting for his son in the hope that he'll come back. And I love it. I love it because it starts to show the father's love. The father is totally aware of what's going to happen for his son if he comes home. Yet he waits for him just the same. His son would be humiliated. The community would totally reject him. Knowing all that, the father does something that's totally out of character for the culture of the day, doesn't he? The father stands. He watches. He waits. He's looking. He's anticipating. And before the village can see, the father positions himself so he can see. You've got to understand what's going on here. The father knows what's coming. father also knows what's deserved in culture. And he positions himself in a place where if, if by chance my son comes back, I'm going to step in, I'm going to do something. He knows he's got to get to his son before anybody else. He knows. That's how much he loves his son. That's how much he loves his son. You know, Father God loves us. He loves us so much that from the moment that you and I are born, actually even before we were knit together, because he already knew us, he was waiting for us. That while we were still sinners, separated from him, he sent his son to die on a cross. He already positioned himself before anyone could lay accusation to get to us before anybody else. Man, that's love. Because we know what we were deserving because of our separation from God. You know, our father, our daddy, is never too busy to be concerned about us, you and I, his children. He's never too busy for us. And so he waits, he stands, he looks, he anticipates to see who's coming back home so that he can get there before anybody else. It's important that we grab hold of how much 
This father loved his son and how much God loves us. Otherwise, if we don't get it, we can never love like he loved. Yeah? Why do people go to churches everywhere? This is a sweeping generalisation, yeah? I'm not saying that we're any better or they're any... I'm just saying in general, why is it that people can go to a church, a house of God, where his children are at, where the piercing light is supposed to come out through us, why is it that people don't discover his love? Because they don't know it themselves. So we have to know it. We have to know it. We have to know it so we can show it. So verse 20 says, So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. As his son's returning, the father sees him. Not only does he see him, but he sees him while he's still a long way off. See, Scripture never contradicts itself. If anybody tells you that the Bible contradicts itself, just let them know that they haven't read it exactly in the context that God wants them to. Because God doesn't contradict himself. Yeah? In Isaiah 57, 19, it says, Creating praise on their lips, peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. Now we go to the prodigal son, and it says that he sees his son afar off. And what's he want to do? He wants to heal his son. He wants to bring peace into his life. And in fact, even later, he brings peace to his son, the eldest son, those that are far and those that are near. The Bible never contradicts itself. The, the, the whole parable of the prodigal son is, is playing out in Isaiah 57. The father sees him a long way off. And we know what he's about to do. He's about to run to him, to welcome him home. To bring peace to his heart. Father God's been waiting to pour upon us his peace. Yeah? A peace that surpasses our understanding. A peace that we don't get. And it's for those that are far away from him, disconnected from him. But it's also for those that are near to him. That's you and me. We don't experience his peace once. We experience it over and over and over and over and over again as we build relationship with him. And his love is shown the most in these words. He ran to his son. The father ran. You've got to think about it. If you close your eyes just for a minute and think, why did the father run? Why did he run? Because he ran to get his son before he entered the village. He ran to embrace his son before the villagers would even see that he was there. He ran to his son so his son won't experience the shame and humiliation that the community in their culture would bring to him. And it's certain, I reckon, that the villagers would have, would have followed the father running. They would have seen him. They would have thought, where's he going? And they would have just started to chase. Some of them would have just ran. I wonder where he's going. They would have witnessed what took place at the edge of the village between the father and son. And after seeing their embrace, it would have been so clear that there was going to be no kazaza ceremony, no breaking of the pot. No, sending the son back out because the father had stepped in a place where they couldn't reach the son. See, God's love, God's love, this is a really bad analogy. God's love is like those, you know those, those TV shopping shows? 
and, and you're watching it, and it says, but hold on, don't call now. If you just wait another, another minute, here's your free steak knives. With God's love, there's always more. Just when you think you've got it all, it's like, hold on a minute. Don't call yet. There's still some free steak knives. When you think you've got all of God's love, there's more and there's more and there's more. Because he's God. Yeah? How long's a piece of string? God has no beginning. God has no end. God is love. How do you measure that? You can't. So when you have an understanding of the fullness of God in you, you're about to get the free steak knives. Because how can you have an understanding of something which has no end? Let that just bounce around in your head for a little bit, yeah? It's just, it's greater, it's bigger. When it comes to Papa's love, there's always more. The father ran. And he ran towards his wayward, disobedient, undeserving, dishonouring son. You have to picture that. You must picture it in your mind to fully grab hold of what's happening the villagers would have been furious because culture would dictate that they're supposed to outcast the son for what he did. He brought dishonour to the family. And while you're picturing that, picture this. The father didn't have on a set of ASICs, Gelcayanos. He didn't have running shoes. He didn't have beautiful running shorts. He didn't have those beautiful Adidas t-shirts that breathe as you sweat so that he could run fluidly. He didn't have running gear on. He had a robe on with sandals. You, know, you picture that, a robe with sandals. And the only way to run in a robe is to physically grab it and lift it above your knees so that you can run. Middle Eastern men, they never ran. They never, ever ran. If, if he were to run, he'd have to hitch up his tunic so he wouldn't trip. And to do that, he would have to show his legs, yeah, his bare legs. Hey, watch this. If in their culture, if you showed your bare legs, you were bringing dishonour upon yourself and your family. So the father dishonours himself to save his son from dishonour. Man, there's some serious love happening in the dad here. In that culture, it was humiliating and shameful for a man to show his bare legs. I don't get it. I've got good-looking legs. I'd be happy to show them, but not in their culture. So what does the father do? He takes the bottom of his robes in his hands and he runs out to meet his son. Men didn't run in their robes. Dignified men didn't run. There's an ancient proverb that says, a man's manner of walking tells you what he is. Aristotle wrote, great men never run in public. Yet this father lifts up his robe and puts, brings dishonour upon himself and his family to get to his son, to save him from humiliation and dishonour. The father runs. He takes a humble position for his son. He shames himself so he could take away the son's shame. And it says, even before the son said anything, it says that he embraces him and he kisses him. He kisses his dirty son who's been in a pig pen eating pig food. They didn't even eat pig. And he's kissing a son that smells of them. Man, there's some serious love happening. 
He hugged his son who was wearing rags in front of the whole village. And the father doesn't speak any words at all. All he does is he embraces and he kisses. See, he substitutes kisses for words. He uses his hands and his arms. We are Jesus' what? His hands and his feet extended. That means we're supposed to show the same love, to embrace people, to love people. The father had every right to use his hands to do that, to point. So that's what the villagers were going to do. But instead he does something different and he embraces. What a picture. Now we can start to understand that when God went to the cross while we were still sinners and he died for us, he went to the cross, he didn't speak a word. His actions spoke a thousand words, didn't they? He ran towards us while we were still sinners and positioned himself to receive us. He made sure that the enemy didn't get to us first. The villagers with their accusations. This is how daddy is with us. He runs towards us. Father God runs towards us. He waits for us. And no matter what anyone may say, he lets his actions do all the talking. That's why in Isaiah 53 it says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. The father, the prodigal son... The prodigal son's dad did not open his mouth. He just ran out, confronted him, kissed him and embraced him. He let his actions do all the talking. And here we see our saviour. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. He let his actions do all the talking. He positioned himself where he could see us. The Lord stretches out his hands. Yeah, first on the cross to take our shame. And then to embrace us as sons and daughters. Man, there's some intense love here. If we can grab hold of that and see ourselves the way the, the father sees the prodigal. Man, we would never feel inadequate, inadequate. Never. Because we're seeing ourselves the way God sees us. And we would experience and encounter the, the extreme love that he has for us. But is that the love that people are receiving from us? Everything in humanity runs from trouble. You and I normally run from trouble, most of us anyway. God's different. He loves so deeply that he runs toward the trouble. His love runs towards us. You can understand, his love runs towards us. There's no, it's not a coincidence and when... When John the Baptist would baptise, they would baptise in a river of running water because it was to, it, for them, the whole thing was a picture of God's love. Even in Revelation, God reminded me during our worship, in Revelation 22 says, the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life. Yeah? He's the way, the truth and the life. As clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God. And of the Lamb down the middle of the great street. You know what? His love flows. His love flows. He flo it flows. And it runs toward us. It doesn't run away from us. We run away from God. He does not run away from us. His love runs toward us. And I want to finish with this. Can everyone stand? I, 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 I want you to picture his love and how great his love is. See, verse 20 says, He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. 
Can I, can I ask you all just for a moment? Can I ask you to close your eyes? I want you to imagine something just for a moment. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. I want you to imagine one person in your life, one person in your life that you want to come home. Home from sin. Home from isolation. Home from unbelief. Just one person. Home from hard-heartedness. Home to the Father. Now, in keeping your eyes closed, I want you to imagine what would it be like to see that person, to see their brokenness in their face, like the sun returning, but then like the Father to reach out and embrace them and to kiss them. No words, just a loving embrace. See, someone here, here today needs to know that that's what our God is like. Papa doesn't hold us at arm's length. Only the father could restore the son to full sonship in the family. And for you and I, only our father, daddy, papa, Father God can restore us, his sons and daughters, to full sonship, yeah? He calls us and he waits. And the beauty is, because he's waiting, like the son, the minute, the minute God sees one of us turn to him, just a turn, it's only just a turn, it could, it could be a small step, the minute that there's a step back towards him, he's off the fence, he, he's off the porch, he's running, his love runs towards us. So my question today is what needs to change so we can love like he loved? Yeah. While our eyes are closed, I want us to pray. See, I believe that we become more like Jesus daily. I believe we go from a place of glory to a place of glory from a place of glory. I believe that we grow in strength in the Lord from strength to strength and to strength and to strength. I believe that we are his hands and his feet extended. I believe that when we're asked to imitate him and love like he loves, we carry that authority and that power and that governance with us everywhere we go. But we have to understand whose we are. We need to know how much he loves us so that when we're dealing with men and women and family and friends and our kids, we know how much to love. And his love never ceases. It never ends. It never perishes. It never vanishes. And it loves so much, in fact, that it runs towards us when the world would be running the other way. That's God's love. Man, that's some powerful love, isn't it? Father, right now in the house, actually, if you've got someone next to you, just place your hand on them. For those that are our guests today, uh, I'm trying not to make you feel uncomfortable, but I want us to pray a prayer of impartation upon each and every one of us. Father, right now in the house, we ask God that a fresh revelation of your love would flow through each and every person. Lord, that there would be an illumination within our minds that would drop to our hearts on the extent and the extremity of your love for us. That we would understand what you were willing to sacrifice, Lord, to bring us home to yourself. 
Lord, that it would be so real that we would be able to show that same love to one another. Lord, not, not because we're striving, but just because like that picture that Sarah had, Lord God, that that light just shines through that piercing, sharp, beautiful, crystal clear white light. Lord, that's your love flowing through us. And Lord, I pray today that each person right now is being filled afresh. Lord, that their thoughts of you would be new thoughts. Father, that their picture of themselves would be a brand spanking new picture. A fresh revelation, Lord God, of how much you love them. Lord God, not only that, but how you see them. How you see them in every situation. How you see them in their parenting. Yes, you are a good parent. Yes, you are a good father and you are a good mother. Yes, you are a good son and you are a good daughter. Yes, when God sees you, he loves you. He loves every part of you. He loves the pictures that you draw, the things that you sketch. He loves the things that you cook. He loves it when you spend time with him. He loves you so much. There's not a critical word in his vocabulary towards you. Father, may that love be so real in our hearts right now that people would discover that when they come across our path. Lord, that they would walk away from an encounter with us saying, I just met someone that's like God. Lord, maybe, may we be world changers, atmosphere shifters, Lord, culture architects because of the love that we have that's in us, for us, to work through us for those around us. Lord God, I pray that you would start a work today. Father, may there be fresh words, God, our testimonies, a new testimony. God, raise up a new testimony in the heart of the people here. May we hear during the week on social media, next week at church, may people share, Lord, of an encounter and experience they've had with your love that's actually left them changed, rearranged forevermore. Lord, fan that into flame, we pray. Lord, do something supernatural in the natural. Something extraordinary in the ordinary, God. Lord, that we would be, Lord, the salt of the earth and the light on the hill. That when we mimic you, we mimic you well. So we bless you. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the father. We thank you for the picture of the prodigal. God, we thank you for all that you bestow upon us. And all the people in the church and in the house said, Amen. Let's love like he loved. Sit with God, ask him to give you a brand spanking new revelation of that love and watch what he teaches in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen.